How are you guys doing? There, no, now you can hear me. Okay. Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Let's try that again. Glad that you're here. Gives me somebody to preach to with you being here. Um, so appreciate that. Uh, I had Rebecca stay here and stand here. Um, we sent an email out to you. I believe it was on Friday or Thursday. Um, announcing uh, some changes in our worship ministry. And um, one of those changes is Bobby Swanson, who could not be here today, he's ill, uh, who has been operating as our interim worship director, um, has stepped aside, uh, stepped down from that position, and uh, is pursuing employment in uh, a career that he had previous to uh, joining us for this interim role. And um, in that process, we have been discussing, the elders have, uh, were asking me to talk with Rebecca Webster about filling that position as our worship director. And I'm thankful and glad to announce to you this morning, we've already done it kind of formally in a letter to you, but if you didn't see that, I wanna just say, uh, welcome Rebecca Webster. Would you please welcome her with me as our worship director? All right, baby. All right. On the uh, 19th, uh, there'll be a whole lot more information about that. We'll probably do an, ins not probably, we'll be doing an installation. The elders will be present for that. And I asked Tim Volstrom if he would please uh, kind of direct that. So you'd be here on the 19th. We'll have a little party there and uh, make sure that you say thank you to Bobby Swanson when you see him. He is not leaving worship ministry, not leaving it. He is gonna continue to be a worship director from time to time, gonna help leading the band and be involved as he was previous to uh, the interim role that he took on. So yeah, thank you very much, Bobby. All right, let's read. We're in chapter eight of... Um, 1 Corinthians, in our called out series, I've titled this sermon, Love, the Lid on Liberty. Love, comma, the Lid on Liberty. And so, um, we'll read the passage together, and uh, we'll get into it, okay? Now, concerning things, I'm doing the entire chapter, just so you know. All right, so that'll make you guys nervous, probably. We're doing the entire chapter. So here we go. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, and you'll see those are little G's in your text when he starts talking about these. There are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the, to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for those for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray that this morning you will use um, the servant. You'll use me this morning, Lord. 
May the Holy Spirit speak through me this morning. May it bless your people. May lives be changed. May our attitudes and behaviors be adjusted according to the truth of your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. We've just come through chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, and in chapter 7 we begin a um, litany of questions that were being asked by the believers in Corinth. They had written a letter and sent it to Paul, um, and that's all in 1 Corinthians. He had addressed them. And so we just came out of um, what does God say about, uh, with questions like this I think were answered. Should I get married or remain single? Um, how do I handle an unhappy marriage? And, uh, or is it ever okay to pursue a divorce? We touched on all those things. And in chapter 7, those were the questions that were being asked and Paul was answering them. But today, we see in a, a definite shift we went from talking about marriage, divorce, singleness, and now we go to now concerning things sacrificed to idols. Seems like a switch. I don't think we're talking about the same things anymore. So it's a second question, the second question that they were asking. And so um, I think in studying this out, I came up with just a couple questions that I think are really the uh, a summarization or the crux of what is being talked about here. And... Um, a couple of different questions. Here's one of them. How much, how much should I let other people's views in the church with Christians control my actions? Or as in the case that this passage is pointing to, do I have to limit my Christian liberty in accordance with the more narrow view or more restrictive views of other Christians? Christians maybe with a weak conscience or that are immature new believers who are not at the same knowledge level as I might be or you might be. I think most of us have thought about that. We've been in our Christian life, if you've been saved more than five years, I'm thinking you've probably grown in lots of areas. I certainly hope you have. If not, why haven't you? It's kind of a normal question I ask. It seems like every time I speak, is why aren't you growing? Why aren't you maturing? Why aren't you becoming more like Christ? And so that's a question. Um, how much should I adjust my actions according to this passage? How far does Christian liberty or freedom go in regard to behavior not specifically forbidden in Scripture? And then, in other words, the things that aren't spelled out in black and white. What do I do with those? What are those? What are some of those? Well, during the past several generations, we've seen uh, an incredible amount of discussion about these types of things, and those things are discussed quite a bit because we don't have a black and white that says what you should or shouldn't do. If we did, then we wouldn't have to question them. They wouldn't be things that need to be discussed because God would have already stated what we should do about those. So I think there's, there's a principle involved here in what we're going to talk about, um, I, I want to ask this question, um, and I'm, I'd like to see hands on this. How many of you this week have struggled with eating food that was offered to idols? Okay, that's the same reaction I had in the first service, and that's kind of what I anticipated, because we don't struggle with that area. It's not an area that we really deal with in our culture. There are cultures in the world where this is still very true. There are eating restrictions. If you're um, in some of the Middle East and in those areas, they can't eat pork, they don't eat that type of thing. I mean, there's a lot of restrictions in their, uh, in their makeup of their societies. But um, I think our issues, but, and here's the thing I wanna say, the fundamental idea behind what Paul is saying, even though he's dealing with what was a definite issue in Corinth, which was eating food offered to an idol. Okay, so he's definitely dealing with that, but the principle of that applies to other areas that we maybe have as Christian liberties or uh, freedoms, if you would. So what's some of our areas? And I will mention a few of those. It's interesting. The past several generations, the fundamentalists and, and, fundamentalists and evangelicals have centered around 
questionable practices, questionable behaviors. Lots of this has come up. And, and I remember being a little boy. Um, I know that was a long time ago, but I still remember it. And um, I remember being a very young boy and, and dealing with these areas of Christian liberty. I didn't even know it was called Christian liberty because the denomination that I was in, it wasn't really a liberty. It was a, it was a, a law. It was living according to all the rules. And it was looked at as bad. Like my mother, I said this differently in the first service, that's why I'm saying it this way. The women in the church weren't allowed to wear pants. They weren't allowed to wear makeup. We weren't allowed to go to the movies. We weren't allowed to, I didn't, there was no television in my home for years. Um, there was a lot of things like that. Well, these are definitely areas that we would call Christian liberty areas. There's no, I don't see anything in my Bible that says I can't go to the movies. Do you? No. It's not in black and white in front of us. But these are the areas. And then, so here's some of the other areas, some of the key issues. And, um, and trust me, I know how this has um, affected people in the room's lives. But we're talking a, a general overall brush of this, not a specific individual. All right? So here's some of those areas that, and so as we go through this, remember these areas. I'm front-loading this a little bit. Um, key issue, drinking alcoholic beverages. Huge in the church. Some say you should not drink it at all, that they just drank grape juice back then, there was no wine, and if that's true, why did he say don't get drunk with wine? You can drink a lot of grape juice and never get drunk. All right? But if you think about it, even in that society, a very warm climate, grapes, they had no refrigeration. It's going to ferment at a much faster, rapid rate, and they were drinking it. It was alcohol, people. All right? So, but, but now we're saying, oh, you should never, you know, lips that touch wine will never touch mine. Remember that dating line? Um, so that, that's that kind of thing. And, I, and I'm not belittling anyone who struggles with an addictive behavior toward alcohol. I'm not. But not everybody in the room has addictive behavior to alcohol. Okay? So we will definitely touch on that. Let's say smoking. Um, these are the nasty nine sins when I was growing up. You can't smoke, you can't drink, that type of thing. Um, how about playing cards? Playing cards. Uh, we weren't allowed to even have a deck of cards in the house to play solitaire with. Okay? So that, or, or gambling. Just any lightweight gambling stuff. You bet somebody a buck on a Warriors game. Who's going to win tonight? Yeah, that, we couldn't do that. That was not, not a good thing. But we don't have anything that says we can't do these things. And um, what about the wearing of makeup? How about dancing? Dancing. We've had praise team dancers on our stage dancing. Okay? Because we look at it and we say, well, David danced. Didn't he? You remember that? He danced in such a fashion that his wife thought he was crazy. Well, when I dance, my wife thinks I'm crazy too. So that's not unusual. But he was dancing before the Lord and he was basically drunk in the spirit and he was just having a great old time and his wife was going, man, he, there's something wrong with him. Remember that? So you have, there's dancing in the scriptures. Now, does that mean I get to go out, now I'm gonna age myself. Do I get to go out to go to the discotheque and do the bump with people? Remember the bump? Anybody remember the bump in this room? Only the old people remember the bump. Or, or some of the dancing that I have seen, um, the best way I could say that is it's very graphic, very sexual, very sensual. Uh, people wearing less clothes than what they should, wiggling all over the place. Not a good thing. So, I mean, I think, personally, that's where I say that's where it's not good. But if you, walk, if you drove by my house and looked through my window and saw me and my wife dancing in the front room, you'd have to look around my Christmas tree right now because I got my tree up. All right? But if you looked through and saw that, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I've been dancing with that girl for 46 years. I don't even dance and I dance with her. I, well, I call it dancing. I don't really know what it's called, but I call it dancing. I think if I can just get a hold of her and go in a circle like that with music on, that's pretty good. If I can stay off her feet and her off of mine. So uh, what about styles of music? 
We got any different styles of music? There's tons of different styles of music that you can listen to. And don't say it all has to be K-Love. It does not have to be K-Love. I grew up on Motown. Okay, and the Eagles back when they were young, before they all started dying off. Styles of music. What about going to the theater, going to movies? Wasn't allowed to do that when I grew up as a kid. But I think this is all falls in Christian liberty areas. I don't see anything in Scripture that says I can't do these things. Um, and watching TV and whatever else you do that doesn't, we don't have a black and white answer to. These are the areas that we would call Christian liberty areas or Christian freedom areas. Um, I, I will say this though. I don't think there's anything wrong if you've decided you're going to abstain from all these things. I think there's nothing wrong with that either. As long as you abstain from them without making your other brothers who are doing these things feel guilty about it. What you've decided to do before the Lord on these issues, you do it. Do it. Go ahead. God will reward you for your diligence toward him and your obedience toward him and what you've decided in your heart to do with him. He's going to take care of you in that area. But you can't make everybody else feel they got to do exactly what you're doing in these Christian liberty areas. If you have scripture for it, you want to come and tell me scripturally I'm supposed to be doing something, show me in your scriptures, and then I will try and comply with that if it's really there. Okay? So, um, and I know that, I, I, mean, I said this early service, first, you know, smoking one, I know, you know your body's a temple of the Lord. We're supposed to take care of it. I get all of that. But I told him in the first service, you have to quit breathing then. Because if your body's a temple of the Lord, you've got to take care of it. How many of you, how many of you had a donut on the way in? How many of you had any sugar that was processed this week? I mean, just on and on we go with this stuff. I don't think that stuff applies. So, um, and Paul also warned us. He said, take care in verse 9 here. It says, take care lest, well, let me read it. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And there's our concern. You have these liberties or these freedoms in Christ to do certain things. But if you're going to stumble your brother, you have to be careful of that. Okay? And I won't go any further than that because I need to talk about that in this. Okay, so here's Paul responds. He has, I, I think there's two or three areas we're going to look at. Uh, number one, let's go verses one through six. Number one says, now, so we have knowledge. We have knowledge. That's the whole first thing I want to talk about. And, and we're going to just kind of look at verses one through three, and then we'll go to four through six in a moment. Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know, we know that. We all have knowledge. Okay? That seems to me have you ever talked to anybody and they go, well, I know all about that? You ever have that? You know, you guys can, you guys can respond. If it's going to be dead silent in here, I'm going to start yelling, okay? So I'll probably start yelling anyway. But here's the thing. You ever have anybody that does that? I'm serious. Like, like hey, I know all about that. Oh, well, listen to this. Well, we all have knowledge. We're Christians. We're the mature ones. We all have knowledge. And if you notice, if you've got an NIV or an ESV, I want you to look at those terms. We all have knowledge. Do you see something there that's a, a grammatical thing? I think there's a, what's called a quotation mark around that statement. I believe that's there. Should be in the ESV and NIV. And I think that's accurate that that has quotes around it because this was a question that they're asking him so he's using their words to identify what they said now look what he does immediately after that statement of arrogance we have knowledge we're the more mature you ever hear people do that well they just don't know yet well what are you doing to help train them on knowing are you doing anything or just belittling them because they don't have the knowledge level you have. What is his next line? So he quotes them, the very next line, knowledge makes you arrogant. Amen. And it does. Knowledge makes you arrogant. That word arrogant, well, you'll see it in different translations. It might say knowledge will puff you up. It'll puff you up. 
I like to say it'll blow you up. Because the very next statement he says, but contrasting word, we're going to shift gears. So knowledge can be bad if it makes you arrogant. Knowledge can be bad if it puffs you up. Knowledge can be bad if it blows you up. But guess what love does? Love edifies. The word edify means love builds up. So you can have this total arrogant attitude about your knowledge. But when you get into love, he says love builds you up. So you either get blown up or you get built up. And who does the knowledge affect? Not the individual that's weak. You're using it as a tool to belittle them, to say, I'm going to do whatever I want to. You just don't know yet. Well, that's wrong. According to this passage, it's really wrong. We'll get there. So you just look at that, you go, huh. So there's an arrogance in knowledge. Because if you leave the love part out, you're going to become arrogant in it. You're just building yourself up. You're puffing yourself up. I've got knowledge. And guess what? One of my biggest fears around Valley Bible Church is that our people get so knowledgeable that they become stuck up over it and act like no other church in the region can be knowledgeable. We've got all the right answers. Well, I hope we have all the right answers, but I hope we don't act like that. I hope there's some love attached to what we do. Let's talk about that. Listen to this. I wrote these notes down, so I better use them every now and then. I only got nine pages. We're on page two. And I've got lots of time. Mere knowledge, mere knowledge without love has been a snare to the human race ever since Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that? Everything was perfect. They walked in the garden with God. They talked to him. But what they do, they had to get over there and have a little fruit from the tree of knowledge. Knowledge. And guess what? The whole race was blown up. The whole race was affected by them wanting knowledge. If you eat from this tree, you'll be just like God. You'll have the same knowledge level as him. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And that part was true. They immediately knew the difference between good and evil because they ran into the bushes and came out with fig leaves on because they suddenly realized they were naked. They'd been naked the whole time. Didn't even know it. But guess what? They got a little knowledge. Got a little puffed up. And it has affected the human race ever since. Amen. Thank you. And listen to this. With all of the information that we have available, with computers, and if, if you took out your iPhone or your Samsung or whatever you're using and you open up the internet, look at the wealth of knowledge that's available to you. It's available like never before. You used to have to go to a library and be there all day and still not discover what you can discover in five minutes by picking up your phone. Why am I saying that? Because with all of that that's available, all this knowledge, all the knowledge that you could possibly want, we've never been further from God. All that knowledge does is make you think you don't need God because you already got what you need. You forget about the truth. And there's only one truth that I know of. All truth emanates from this book, from the Word of God. This is God talking to you. This is God talking to me. This is God's Word. He says if you get in there, that knowledge will let you know that you have to love one another in the knowledge that you have. I'm going to take that weaker brother under my wing. I'm going to disciple him. I'm going to train him. I'm going to instruct him. I'm going to do that because that's what God wants us to do. Not just sit up there on a high, like on a high post saying, well, I don't have to do the things you still are doing. That's ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. And guess what happens all the time in the church? Happens all the time in the church. Trust me, I've seen it here at Valley Bible. 
Yeah, well, when they get, when, you know, when they get their Christian life together, they're trying to get their Christian life together. Why are you sitting over here all high and mighty? I got all the knowledge. Why aren't you sharing the knowledge? All right. What happened with Adam and Eve is, and what happens with us is that our arrogance takes over and uh, that arrogance causes us to overlook the love part. Becomes all about me. My arrogance, my knowledge becomes, I'm going to get more knowledge. I'm going to get more knowledge. What are you doing with the knowledge that you have is always the question. I remember years ago, a long, long time ago, I still had black hair all in my beard and everywhere. I had actually a lot more hair than this back then. I can remember a time where I just felt God tugging on my heart that he, he just kept sending people to me and having me counsel with them and pray with them and do things. And I can remember thinking one day as I was driving away from here, I, I, I like to, when I'm driving, have conversations with the Lord. Because, you know, just driving time is dead windshield time. It doesn't mean much. But if you can make it about talking to him, you make that trip worthwhile. But I got, I got in my car one day, and I'm driving out of here and had a wonderful services and stuff and this is years ago and I remember thinking I, I dealt with some people in prayer that the, the level of what they needed was way above my knowledge level I felt and I, I remember telling the Lord well Lord if you're going to keep sending people my way like this I better, I better build up my knowledge level a little bit I better know how to respond to them biblically I need to be better at knowing how to pull passages out to share with them, to help them get through this Christian life and through this life, period. And so, knowledge is good, but it has to be tempered with love. The two go together. Look what he says about love. There's that word, there's a little three-letter word there that, that you will see it says but but so knowledge makes you arrogant but love edifies love builds up now let's talk about that word love that word love in the Greek is the word agape okay and that word it really agape is like a charity love it's like a it's a love that I'm going to give out and give out and give out and expect nothing in return from you that's what I'm going to do. So I, I, I like to say it this way. It's divine love. It's love that would cause Christ to go to Calvary on your behalf. It's Calvary love. It's God's love. It's spontaneous love. It's, it's love that's irrespective of your rights. Love looks at somebody else's situation, not always my situation. And isn't that what we've been going through in this entire segment of 1 Corinthians? If you have been with us for the entire thing, it's divisions, it's this, it's that. It's no, it's would you consider the other brother instead of it always being about you? Well, I am from Apollo, and I am from Apollos, and I am from, who cares? I'm from Christ Jesus, how's that? Let's quit dividing the church. And that's exactly what's happening here. They're being divided once again. It's got to build them up. It's not knowledge that builds up, but it's the love that does that. The term actually that, that edifies, that term actually means to build a house. To build a house. I have a little experience with that. You know how much work it is to build a house? It takes a lot of work to build a house. It takes a lot of work just to get through the permit process. And it is used, that term is used metaphorically to represent building up believers. We're going to build up the believers. We're going to build up the local church. We're going to build up the body of Christ. That's the term that's used, that edifying. May everything we do in here edify the saints. Everything, every song chosen, every decision made, every announcement. Oh, I pray that it would glorify God and edify the saints.
Amen? Man, you guys are quiet. Where is Willie Cooper at today? Remember that. Knowledge blows up, but love builds up. And then look at verse 2 there. I like this. Because, you know, they said up here, now concerning things sacrificed idols, we know that we all have knowledge. You know, you got to be careful when you use terms like all and never and always, right? You got to be real careful with those. Look what Paul does to him here. This is his statement. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, like you can, you know, you have all knowledge of, of this one thing, let's say. He is not yet known as he ought to know. What he's basically saying is you don't know anything. You think you know everything? You don't know nothing yet. And we're going to see that a little bit later. And then I love this verse. I, I think I could settle right here and preach for the next 15 minutes instead of going on, but I won't do that because I have other stuff to say. But I like to say that this verse right here, verse 3, again we have a, that word but. So if you suppose that you know anything, he has not let you... You, you, don't, you, you don't know as you ought to know. But look at this. But if anyone, anyone, any of you, if anyone loves God, he is known by him. By him. If you love God, he is, you are known by him. Oh my goodness. Oh, think about it, people. If I just love God the way I'm supposed to, if I could just acknowledge what he did by sending his son to die for me, because you know what he does? He takes that arrogance and he points him right back to the cross. He points him right back to Christ. If you love God, then you are known by him. If you're not known by him this morning, you're going to hell. If he doesn't know you, you've never been brought into his family. But if you can show that you love him enough to accept his son, and, you, and then that's when love begins for you. You can say, I'm in love with the Lord. I love the God of the universe. I love the God that sent his son to die for me. You can say that. Now, when you say that, you go, now you're known by him. Yeah, he points them right back. Get off that arrogant high horse you're on with all your knowledge. Knowledge that doesn't change you is useless. Useless. But if anyone loves God, well, why would you love God? Because of what he's done for you. That's what turns your affection toward him. Because he sent a son to die for you. He wanted to restore relationship. He found you dead. And he says, how can I bring them back to life? Son, you'll have to go and die on their behalf because only your righteousness will quicken them to me and cause them to change. Oh, you should shout, people. What are you looking at me like that for? It's the truth. You need to love others with a love that builds up. And he's reminding us of that by using the terminology with God and the love you're supposed to have for him. Verses four through six, we see that idols are nothing. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols. Here we go. Here they go again with a we know. Here he quotes them again. We know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world. Well, there are idols in the world, but what they're saying is something different. And that there is no God but one. Now, they finally said something that's truthful. And Paul agrees with them. For even if there are so-called gods, little g's, you know, little g means not our God, but the false gods. And I like that Paul said so-called gods. That means he's acknowledging that they're saying they're God, but they're really not God. So-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. You know that they called Caesar Lord at this time. It was one of the big arguments against Christ. Is that you have to denounce Christ as Lord because Caesar is supposed to be Lord. And they wouldn't do it, so they chopped their head off or throwing them in with the lions. It was a huge event. There were lords and gods. They called them that. They weren't true lords or gods. That's why they're always a small g 
or small l in this case, with it being Lord. Yet for us, for us, for those who placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. You ever think about that? You are in existence for him, not yourself. You exist for the Father. Is that shocking to any of you? It says it right there. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. And we exist through him. So we exist for the Father through the Son. Interesting. And, and Paul just is kind of saying, you got that one right. There is only one God. Mature Christians know that idols do, and here's what the truth of this, this thing. Idols are nothing. So what they're saying here is, the mature Christians are saying that idols don't represent a true God because, because, because of this, it is implied that there's nothing wrong with eating the meat from the idols. We can eat meat from the idols all day long because there's no such thing as another God anyway. That's all just fake. It's all not real. And that's what they're saying. And that's their whole point. The pagans believe in their statues and idols, but not, but not the Christians. Christians know that statues are... Listen, do you, there's a place in the Old Testament, I don't know it, sorry, I don't have the reference, I'm not Mr. Google up here. There's a place there where he talks about that a man takes and chops down a tree. He chops down a tree. And he takes half the wood from the tree and he prepares a fire so he can cook his food over it and so he can be kept warm. And in the other half of the tree, what's left over, he makes an idol and he worships it. Now, in the spiritual realm, knowing the God of the universe like I do, I'm saying, that is the most stupid thing I've ever heard of. The very tree that kept you warm when you burned, it burned up. It disappears. If you throw that log on the fire, you're going to burn it too. And it's going to be just taken care of. So, we know that idols really aren't, another, there's no other God. You can make an idol all day long. You can, you can have a God before your God, but it's not really a true God, okay? So we know that. All Christians share in the knowledge that there is only one true God through faith in the one Lord, Jesus Christ. All true Christians agree with that. Is that right? You agree with that? You can say amen, and I will not be offended. The pagans believe in their statues and idols, but not the Christians. So based on this knowledge, the implication is clear. Since idols are merely human creations, and since there is only one true God, eating meat that has been sacrificed to a statue or idol is really inconsequential. It means nothing, and that's what they're saying. Oh, but it does mean something. We're going to see that in verse 7. But after all, how can meat in and of itself be made evil by God, by gods that don't exist? They're believing that gods that don't exist, if you eat the meat from the idol sacrifice, is going to make you sick or it's going to make you in compliance with that God. How can you be in compliance with a God that doesn't exist? How can you get sick from, how can they do anything to the food when they don't exist? That's what they're saying. It's a very common, it's not even, there, there's not even a lot of theology in it in reality. It's just like, hey, we know that they don't exist, so why are we worried about it? We're going to eat the meat all day long. Well, one of the reasons they ate the meat, there's two different meat markets in this society. You had the regular meat market where there wasn't idols, that you had to pay a lot more money for that meat. But you could get a discount on this meat because they had a bunch of it left over because they burned up like the legs and the, the insides of the animal and all the stuff. They, they, and guess what? It was the cleanest, best animal that they were doing that with. They couldn't offer a tainted animal to a, a god even though there was no god. Um, but they, they did that. So you, you got the best choice of meat. And it was, there was so much of it because there was so, so much paganism that that meat had to be used within a certain time. So it was much more affordable to buy that meat. Get that? It's just kind of simple stuff. So listen to this. The Christian's worldview should therefore drive out the superstitions that often surround us. Huh. You don't have any superstitions, do you? 
In God's economy, he's in charge. Not superstitions, not other gods. Huh, what are some of those? I just felt like I would cover a couple of them. Uh, what about the fear of the 13th floor on a building that's more than 13 floors high? How many of you have been to a hotel or a, 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 some building where it's like 25 stories high and you get in and you look and there's no 13 on the deal? You ever, you ever see that? That's the most ridiculous thing there's ever been. Because what happens, either they've abandoned floor 13, right? They've either abandoned it. It's still in the building though, isn't it? And then if it's not, a lot of times they'll just go 12 to 14. I, I hate to tell you this, but if they just go 12 to 14, 14 is actually 13. So now once you get past 13, you're being deceived on every floor. All right? But, but, but hey, but, oh, watch out for 13. Friday the 13th, they made a bazillion dollars off of movies for that one. What about fear of bad luck over a broken mirror? Oh, a broken mirror, seven years of bad luck. Oh. You know, I, I have such luck I can't tell when it's bad or good. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. But you think about it, so you, okay, broken mirrors. What about walking under a ladder? What about black cats? Oh, black cat pasture. I mean, oh, come on. Drive a little faster, run them over. No, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But that stuff should be driven far out of our minds. Because there's only one true God in how his world works. Yet having this knowledge without love can cause all kinds of trouble. Cause all kinds of trouble. You gotta have love in. Love just needs to be injected into all of it. This is why I came up with that. Love puts the lid on your liberties. You got a bucket full of liberties that you can do. And love comes along and says, just put a lid on that. It's more important you take care of your brother than it is to have your liberties. The weaker brother, right? All right. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna run here real quick. Third little segment, conscience. Verses 7 through 13. Now here's where we get, here's where I, I, I like this because if you look back at the first, we know that we all have knowledge. We know that. No, you don't know that. That's a false statement. Every believer doesn't have knowledge. If you're a young believer in this room right now, I doubt very seriously that you can describe what justification is. And the word propitiation, you've never even heard it in your whole life until now. Because you're brand new. You don't know the fullness of who Christ is yet. You know, when I got saved, I was only five. I was learning how to obey my parents. Once I got saved, I couldn't lie to my mom anymore. That made things different. Um, I got in a lot more trouble because I couldn't lie anymore. But you have that circumstance. I was very young. I'm like, did I truly know what I had in my salvation? What did I really know about Jesus? What did I, did I understand the Trinity yet? Maybe not. Not in the fullness of how I understand it now. And if you can explain the fullness of the Trinity to me, okay. Because I still have a lot of questions about that. It's biblical. I know it's true. I know it's, it's a thing. But I can't understand it a lot of times. There are some things about God that I just got to go, he said it, I believe it, and that's good. We just keep moving. Like the number one on that is why he put my name in a book. What in the world was he thinking and a lot of you are going to amen that silently. No, we all have knowledge. No, that's not true. It's not true. And so, however, not all men have this knowledge. So Paul says, he goes, here's all these things we discovered up here. Knowledge puffs you up. Love edifies. You need to have both. Not one, you've got to have both together for it to work. He gets through all that, and he's talking about, we know there aren't any false gods. There's really not truly another God. It's only our God. We get all that. And then he goes, however, not all men have this knowledge. You know, I preached this earlier. Somebody came to me. Malcolm Lee came to me. Malcolm Lee this guy has been around this church and around, I don't know, Jesus was in his yearbook probably, right? And he said this to me, he goes, Pastor, I've never heard anyone preach this passage. I was, I'm like, are you serious? He goes, yeah, I've never heard anyone. And he goes, I definitely haven't ever heard anyone preach that, in a, that like you did it this morning. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's okay. So what happens though, if you read on, but some being accustomed to the idol until now, they're accustomed to idols until now, 
eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. If they eat the meat of the idol, they feel like they've been defiled by that. But that idol, how would they be defiled? God didn't defile them, right? Because it doesn't, what does it say here? But food will not commend us to God. That's the next verse. Food won't commend you to him, nor will it, we are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. Interesting. That, 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 that just doesn't matter to God. But their conscience is weak and defiled if they eat the meat. Man. Lack of knowledge is considered a weakness of conscience, which leads them to believe that food offered to an idol is indeed defiled. They need training. They, need, they don't need to be ridiculed because they don't have the knowledge. Listen to what they need. They need training. They need instruction. They need development. They need, they need to be discipled by a mature believer. Listen, this is not my plan. That's God's plan for them. You are to go out making weak believers. No. You are to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You go and disciple them, and you make others into disciples. If you've been saved longer than three years, and you're not discipling anyone, why? You can't tell me that your knowledge level hasn't changed in three years. If you've been around here and your knowledge level hasn't changed enough where you can help disciple people, then we're not doing our job. Okay? All right. What else am I going to say here? So, look at verse 9. But take care that this liberty or that this freedom that you have does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And why? For if someone sees you who have knowledge, so they see you as someone who has knowledge, all right, dining in an idol's temple, if they see you, Pastor Larry, at a bar and grill, and you're sitting up at the bar with a beer, nothing wrong with me having a beer, guys. But, if they see me doing that and they don't understand that there's nothing wrong with having a beer, to their understanding, because they were a party animal before, they don't know how to have one beer and enjoy it. I hate beer, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) I cannot stand the smell of it. I don't know how anybody could drink it. And it's not because it's wrong religiously or wrong before the Lord. It's just I don't like it. I don't like avocados either, and so I don't put it in a category. (laughs) Okay? But if they saw me doing that, will not that individual's conscience, if he, if he is weak, see the wording, if he is weak, won't his conscience, won't he, he'll be strengthened to do the same thing I'm doing without the knowledge that he has the liberty to do it. In his mind, he's not supposed to be doing it according to his own conscience. He sees me doing it, well, now he just does it. Well, that can make him go backwards all the way back to where he was before he even got saved. He'll be right back in partying and doing all the things he did before. And that's what we don't want to do. That's stumbling a brother. Stumbling a brother means he's walking along and now all of a sudden he trips and falls and he gets back up. He's discombobulated. He gets going backwards. Maybe he bumps his head when he falls even. You don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Younger Christians, weak in their faith and early in their deception, may still associate these things with wickedness in which they once participated. This is why Paul appealed to the more mature believers not to just think of the proper knowledge of theology and logic, but to also think of their responsibility to love the weaker believer. What if God had said, you gotta figure out how to get to me on your own? How many of you think you would have got to him? Zero. The inside of one of those donuts that you ate earlier. Because he had to reveal himself but he had to do it in the word of God so you can read about him and know him. 
And, and then if you get to know him, guess what your natural reaction is if you get to know the Savior and God who sent his son to die for you? What your natural reaction is, you fall in love with him. And guess what the other natural reaction is? You start acting like him. I, I was thinking this earlier. Tim. Tim's a young guy. His dad was like 90-some years old when your dad passed away, right? So I asked this earlier of Malcolm, who was here, who's older than Tim. I said, Malcolm, you ever look in the mirror? Tim, you ever look in the mirror? And you look there and you see your dad? Like a, a facial expression or something you say or whatever? Because I know I've done that. My dad's been gone for five years coming up here, and I still see my dad in my own face sometimes. And, and my aunts and my uncles will say, Man, you look just like your dad on that expression you just did. Why is that? Because I loved my dad, and because he had an influence in my life. He loved me back. And so it's just this natural thing. So if you, the closer you get to God, the more you're going to love him, the more he's going to love you. And the more, not more, he doesn't love you any more or less. I'm sorry I said that. That's a wrong statement. But your love grows for him. And it grows. And you become more and more like him because you get closer and closer. The further away you are, the less you look like him. The closer you get to him, the mirror starts to reveal who you are. And guess what? The mature believer is the one that's responsible to help that weaker believer. Don't get into all theology and logic. The responsibility is to love the weaker believer. Those who were saved but untaught and immature. Guess what? We got people walking through the doors sometimes that have been saved for five years, but where they came from, they never got taught. They never learned anything. They never got their knowledge level increased. They're still thinking certain things. If they do those, they might go to hell. They don't understand even the assurance of the security of the believer. They don't have any of that. But now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, keep you from stumbling. Jesus Christ, that's who does that. If you think you get saved and you're going to make it because of something you're doing, no, it's all him. Every part of your life. It's all about his doing the work. He says he's the one that sanctifies you. You don't sanctify yourself. He does that. So Paul, they did not realize that the meat issue is amoral. It's morally neutral. Eating of the meat would not affect the relationship with Christ. That's verse 8. Verse 9 through 12. The conscience of a weak Christian is easily defiled. See that in verse 7. He's, he's easily wounded. He's easily offended. For this reason, the stronger saint must defer to the weaker saint and do nothing that would harm them, nothing that would cause them to... Put a lid on your liberty. Put the lid of love on your liberty so that you might help that person grow and that they might help someone grow and that that next person might help someone grow. And if we do that enough, we have a building full of people that are just growing. And they're not worried about their Christian liberty or their freedoms. They're worried about that brother or sister. And that's what this whole book of 1 Corinthians is about. The whole thing is all about quit dividing the church. Quit dividing the church. That's what they're doing. They're dividing themselves. Well, we got knowledge and you don't. Well, la-dee-da, I got the same Savior you got. And guess what? You are stuck with me for eternity. Get used to it. Paul admonishes or warns them in that verse 10. For if someone sees you, be strengthened to eat the same things you are. Now, they've, they, they've started to sin there. They're going against their conscience based on they saw you. Look, get your eyes off people. Start looking to the one that paid the price for you. Start looking to him. You don't want to lead people into sin. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. Oh, would you want your knowledge to ruin another brother or sister? Go like this. No, I don't. The brother for whose sake Christ died? Oh, my. And you're going to ruin them through some Christian liberty that you have. Hmm. 
And so by sinning against the brethren, and that's you sinning against them when you do that, by sinning against brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. You cause that brother to fall into sin, so you've sinned against him, and you've also sinned against Christ when you do this. And the last thing, therefore, and this should be everybody in the room's attitude, care what it is oh I like to have my what's it called an IP beer what's it it called though when you get the designer beers right IPA because I was going to say I think IP is is, probably works too Um, but IPA beers and all that we got my specialties and all that you know and um, I, I really like that are you willing to give that up for the sake of a brother for a younger brother are you willing to give up those liberties that you have um I I would say this, look at what what Paul says, and I hope you could say this with me. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. May it never be said of you that your actions and your liberties caused someone else to stumble. May it never be said of you. Now, application, and I'm way over. I apologize to you guys, but this happens to me every time. Listen to this. It's the best application I could come up with this. And I have a couple written, but I don't have time for all of those. Jesus Christ himself is the greatest example of this point of view. His liberties, his freedoms was to not come to earth. He had the freedom to say, I don't really want to do that. But what did he do? He came. I just preached on it during the summertime on Philippians there. Philippians 2, that passage makes me weep every time I read it. That he would give up in heaven with his father and come to the earth set aside his deity take on flesh go lower than the angels to take on flesh that he might die on your behalf the whole thing he had to have love involved in it all the way through there was no selfishness in him there was no I have knowledge I don't have to do that There was, I love you so much, and my father hates sin so much. He hates the non-relationship that we have. You were dead in your trespasses when he found you. It took Jesus Christ, took the Holy Spirit to quicken you, and Christ's sacrifice to make it so you'd have relationship with God again, that you might be reconciled to him. That's what it took. It took nothing but love and set aside all of his rights. Love is the thing that should motivate you in all areas. Love should be the thing that motivates you. Motivates you to put a lid on your freedoms. I can set that aside right now. I don't have to have that glass of wine. I don't have to watch. I don't have to go to the, whatever that is, whatever yours is. I don't have to do that because I'm afraid it might stumble my brother my weaker brother, that one that's trying to come out of alcoholism and drug addiction and partying and sexual addictions and all the things that this world is eating us alive with. And let me tell you, those things are in the church. They're not just outside the walls of the church. Those things are eating us alive. Why? Why? Because sometimes the more mature don't care enough to love the weaker brother. Oh, he's doing that. I can't talk with him. Oh, you mean he's addicted to porn? Well, I don't want to talk to him. I don't even know what to tell him. What? What do you mean you don't know what to tell him? How about stop? Just stop and ask God to change your desires and see if he doesn't do it. Is not my desire being changed from what I want to what God wants? Do you think that's a prayer God might answer? Absolutely he will. So put a lid on your freedom for the sake of a brother or sister. Setting aside what you want for the sake of a weaker or less mature believer. 
that God has put in your pathway. Don't ignore them. Don't say, well, I don't want to hang out with them because they can't, they don't want to have a beer now and then. Are you kidding me? They need you to hang out with them. God demands that you hang out with them. All right, I think I'm done. I think that story of Chrysler does sum this up. It puts this in proper perspective. We do not have our rights, our liberty, or freedoms. We do not have to have them. I don't have to have those. We are free to give them up any time the situation warrants it. Any time. Though we have the liberty or freedom to do certain things, certain behaviors, we also have the right to set those aside. And we're supposed to, when it affects another brother, set that aside. Put a lid on the bucket of liberty, and that lid should be the lid of love, and not exercise them for the sake of love. For our less mature brothers or sisters. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning's word. I thank you that um, it's an area that we all have had to deal with. I'm thankful that the passage is very clear and that um, you gave me this message to bring. And we want to be like Paul. If food causes a brother to stumble, I will never eat it again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Oh, I pray that Valley Bible Church be a place that's known for not causing other brothers to stumble and that the lives of our people will reflect that. Thank you so much in Jesus' name.